0: Welcome back everyone to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries and Part 2 of the Oak Island Mystery. In Part 1 we covered the discovery of the Oak Island Money Pit by three local boys and the subsequent efforts by a series of investors to dig and pump their way to the bottom of a 125 foot engineered sinkhole to what everyone imagined was a strong box holding a treasure in pirate loot. The name most commonly associated with that treasure being that of Captain William Kidd, who had made a career out of privateering on behalf of England, but later turned on England's ships to line his own pockets and those of his bloodthirsty crew. On 19th century maps showing the coast of Nova Scotia, Oak Island is seen with Captain Kidd's Cove clearly marked, a tribute to how strong that legend was in that region. A legend no doubt strengthened by the story that a dying buccaneer admitted that he was one of Kidd's crew who had helped bury a treasure on an island off the northeastern Atlantic coast. Although a number of artifacts have been discovered on Oak Island, however, none seem to lead to Captain Kidd, or anyone else. And Kidd did bury a chest loaded with treasure on Gardner's Island, off Long Island, New York, a payment which he hoped would protect him from trouble, but which did not. He was grabbed, imprisoned in London's infamous Newgate, tried, and hung in the gibbets as a warning to future pirates, his remains being left in those gibbets for all to see for three years. At his trial, he did try to buy his freedom by saying that he had cleverly hidden twenty million pounds worth of treasure, which only his freedom could buy. Whether or not this was the chest that he buried on Gardner's Island was never made clear, Although when the British authorities recovered that chest, it only contained 7,000 pounds worth of treasure, money that went to the construction of Greenwich Hospital in London in 1701, and not the 20 million pounds worth of treasure that Kidd had promised. Maybe the occupants on Gardner's Island helped to lighten the load a little, and maybe the bulk of his treasure was buried on Oak Island, or elsewhere. That's just one small piece of a story that continues to be picked away at to find the truth of who, how, what, when, and why there seems to be so much evidence that something was going on at Oak Island. A lot of it is undeniably hype, and some of it could have been planted to attract investors. Our fans might remember the interview we did with Darren Schaefer, a podcast host who has a show called The Cooper Vortex, appropriately named because those who stop long enough to look at that story get sucked into a giant swirling vortex, full to the brim of possibilities and theories as to who D.B. Cooper really was. D.B. Cooper, as many of you know, hijacked a commercial airliner, demanded a huge sum of money, which was then brought to him, and then bailed out over the Pacific Northwest. His identity was never established, he was never caught, and his caper remains one of the FBI's most talked about unsolved crimes. Well, this Oak Island story is very similar. A swirling vortex that has produced over 50 books, at least a dozen television shows and documentaries, and countless articles, not to mention the History Channel episodes called The Curse of Oak Island, now in their seventh year, and still uncovering clues, if not treasure. And all this combined has been going on since 1800. A curse does hang like a cloud over all the operations. The curse that says that seven treasure hunters will die before the treasure is found. That curse having originated, no one knows when or by whom, but it made its way into the History Channel series in their title, The Curse of Oak Island, which undoubtedly adds to the drama. The two brothers leading the hunt, Rick and Marty Legina, have the entire island divided into sections on the map at their headquarters and office on Oak Island each section showing the locations of holes and tunnels bored, pits dug, man-made symbols located, and artifacts found, which now number over 600. I recently watched an episode where they went into the swamp, which looks and apparently smells like a huge rotted peat bog, and recovered a long plank that looks very much like exterior planking that would be found on an old wooden ship. But despite more digging, followed up by pretty thorough metal detection, nothing else turned up just one more clue maybe related, maybe not to finding the treasure which they are convinced lies somewhere below the surface of Oak Island the artifacts do tell us that men occupied and used this island possibly for ship repair possibly for manufacturing salt used to preserve fish catches for long periods of time and also for hunting partridge and waterfowl and also habitation All those spires, ever since 1751. In episode one, we promised to cover more of the theories that are out there, as well as some of the digging efforts from 1850 to present, to reveal some of the more important clues, hopefully, and allow you to match them up to theory and to match them up to reality. At this point in the story, I am doubtful that any treasure exists on Oak Island. I don't believe that a chest of any type would have been buried below water level, However, if that exists, it does so or did so probably at 10 to 20 feet below surface level, where it could have been recovered with ease, and where a wooden chest wouldn't have been subject to rotting in water. As to the original money pit, many efforts have been made to find a man-made connection to a saltwater source, a booby trap if you will, that those same people feel was engineered to protect the treasure from seekers. That man-made connection was never found. Instead, a number of geologists brought in to study the situation determined that Oak Island lies on a limestone subsurface which is honeycombed with tunnels filled with ocean water. This ocean water rises and falls with the tide, about nine feet with each tide change. However, it only rises a foot or so in the pits. Why only a foot? Because, engineers say, the pits don't empty directly into a saltwater cavern or into man-made tunnels connecting it. However, the sides of the man-made pits at a certain depth, probably around 100 feet, are close enough and porous enough to allow seepage from saltwater flows which run beneath the island. So geologists, including an expert from Woods Hole, say there are sinkholes naturally existing on the island and that the money pit is likely not a devious death trap designed for treasure hunters. We'll get into more pro and con as we go forward, but this is a good time to get back into the history and theories so that the full story can be told. It was the Truro Company in 1850 that discovered that Smith's Cove, previously named Smuggler's Cove, was a man-made cove. They also discovered five vents located within the cove, Vents that all headed back toward the money pit, they thought, and those five vents apparently joined one larger vent at some unknown point above the high tide mark. The vents consisted of five carefully placed stone piles placed a few feet apart in an arrowhead-shaped triangular pattern pointing inland. To discover the nature and purpose of these vents, the searchers had to build a semicircular dam around the cove to keep the seawater out and that succeeded. In doing so, they found remnants of a previous dam. Their work revealed that this was indeed a man-made cove, and they thought at first that it had been cleverly built to drain the cove, which they thought could accomplish two things. One, assuming there was a control valve at the point where the five vents merged, once that valve was opened, water would rush out of the cove and into the money pit. And two, that once drained, they thought, the cove could serve as a dry dock for ship repair. We do know from history that Oak Island was once covered with tall oaks, from which it gets its name, and that from this bay, pirates had an excellent view of passing shipping. Oak Island would have made it an excellent spot for pirates to lay up and do repairs, choosing the safety of an island to that of a mainland hideout, and having the advantage of tall trees camouflage their masts from being spotted while they had no trouble spotting ships out in the open bay and the sea lanes that passed that bay skids of the type used to provide a wooden ramp so that a ship could be winched up onto dry land or sand were found during this excavation and in fact Mahone Bay got its name from low boats called sweeps that were used by mariners to row into shore just as Captain Kidd's name became attached to Oak Island on early maps. Sometimes all you have to do is go with the old legends and stories to find the truth. Just saying, maybe Kidd was there, whether he buried treasure or not. On the other hand, when some early colonists decided to build homes on Oak Island around 1750, they initially had to tackle the problem of there being no freshwater streams on the island. So the trapping of rainwater and snowmelt were needed to provide water for man and livestock. But some researchers now believe that at some point, someone on the island discovered that a freshwater spring was seeping from the edge of the island where Smith's Cove is now located. So they built a coffer dam to hold back the seawater and then it engineered five stone collection points at the points from which the water was seeping. These the searchers call vents. They lined them with eelgrass that would act as filters and somehow redirected the flow toward a single point further up from the beach, which was far above the high tide mark and could provide a freshwater pool or source. In other words, the vents, many believe, are not connected to the money pit. As to theories, there are many with different opinions about Oak Island's past. First case in point, There was Dr. Fell, a Harvard zoology professor and founder of the Epigraphic Society of America, who spent years establishing the fact that totally separated cultures shared a number of similarities between their language and symbols. Fell believes that that money pit stone tablet, which we described in Part 1, and of which we'll talk later, which was found by the Onslow group that the boys had formed, had been created by Coptic Christians, who are descendants of the pharaohs and rulers of Egypt. Whether or not the African Coptic Christians became involved in the new world has never been proven. But in a world and ocean traveled by many races for centuries, few things are impossible. Dr. Fell believes that the stone reads, The people shall not forget the Lord, to offset the hardships of winter and the onset of plague, the shrif He shall pray to the Lord. One stone, a bunch of symbols, and two totally different messages. You decide on that one. Second case in point, among many other interesting artifacts proving the existence of human visitors on the island, is a lead cross with a rounded head, which is slightly bent, which is easily interpreted as being a symbol of Christ dying on the cross. But to historian Zena Halpern, it might not be a cross. It might be depicting the Phoenician goddess Tenet, and there are photos of inscriptions in stone that look exactly like the cross found by Rick and Marty Lagina. The Phoenician goddess Tenet was the goddess of fertility and love, and the Phoenicians were known to be great maritime travelers. Add to this the fact that the Laginas dug up a human bone which was determined to be Middle Eastern, and who knows? Another theory that Oak Island might be the hiding place for Marie Antoinette's jewels. And those missing jewels are a story in themselves, by the way. One of the early investors in the treasure hunt was a still young and not yet polio-crippled Franklin D. Roosevelt, who would later become the 32nd President of the United States. He believed that the Oak Island treasure contained the missing crown jewels of France. This theory is formed around the notion of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette fleeing Paris with the missing jewels as well as with their own private and personal gems, in June of 1791. However, because Louis and Marie were captured at Varennes without the treasures and the jewels, the story is that a lady-in-waiting made her escape with them, making her way across the Atlantic to the fortress of Louisbourg, From there, the idea is that the jewels were stashed away somewhere secure. And what could be more secure than being immersed in a saltwater tomb 125 feet deep beneath the Oak Island Money Pit. We'll return to our show right after these messages from our sponsors. And now we return to the Oak Island Mystery, Part 2. You can quickly see problems with this theory, the first being the timeline. The jewels would have to have been hidden between their Paris escape in 1791 and the Money Pit's discovery in 1795. And, if you believe Vaughan's grandfather's account, which is out there, 1791 was when the family first became aware that something unusual might be buried at Oak Island. During their partridge hunts on the island, folks wouldn't have had trouble seeing work crews building elaborate tunnels and creating a man-made cove. And with Halifax expanding in the southern shore of Nova Scotia seeing population growth and sea traffic, it seems unlikely that this theory, with its timeline, could be valid. There was one precious stone found on the island, possibly the most valuable find made yet by the Lagina brothers, and that is a rhodolite garnet. This could have adorned a head decoration or clothing, and it is thought to be between four and five hundred years old. Rhodolite stones were known to have been used by Egyptians and Romans. And by the way, Marty and Rick did find, as mentioned in part one, a ceremonial Roman sword made of lead. And they also found a stone inscribed with what looked like Roman numerals close to the money pit. When remains of a coffer dam were discovered at Smith's Cove, they also found a 90-foot-long by 2-inch-wide border of wood bearing Roman numbers, indicating that someone using Latin inscriptions had built that dam, as well as the water venting systems. Literally tons of coconut fiber had also been used, in addition to eelgrass, to filter the flow of water through those vents, and those fibers were carbon dated back 700 years with a 95% probability That would put us at around the year 1400. Early explorers, indeed, but certainly possible. Those, as well as the coconut fiber, may also have come from a storm-wrecked ship. Something to consider. The Portuguese explorer, Ho Alvarez Fagundes, was said to have visited Nova Scotia around the year 1521. In 1607, Samuel de Champlain found an old, moss-covered cross near what is now Advocate Nova Scotia, which some believe was erected by Fagundes 80 years earlier. It is possible that this little island, covered with tall oaks which could camouflage masted ships, and situated on a wide bay which gave them full view of oncoming ships without being seen, and offering an easy means of hasty escape that a mainland harbor could not, was a natural stopping place for both explorers and pirates. That is very possible, and it's good to keep in mind that in the same way that English is accepted today as a universal language, so was Latin, a universally accepted language and numeral system back in those days. And the use of Roman numerals to mark objects like stones and pieces of wood has been common for centuries. When you think about it, the two most compelling pieces of evidence that suggest that something unexplainable is going on on Oak Island are one, the construction of wood flooring at every 10 foot mark in the original money pit and possibly you engineers out there have an easy answer for that but no one else does and two the reported discovery of a stone slab at the 90 foot mark in the original money pit that stone slab according to hearsay containing a cryptic code which no one could understand until as the story goes it was translated 60 years later the treasure worth 2 million pounds, is located 40 feet below. Not that the 2 foot long, not 90 foot long, as some articles are currently saying, 16 inch high, that's 2 foot long, 16 inch high stone, wasn't talked about and sworn to. Apparently the stone was built into the fireplace in the homestead of one of the original finders, with the code being visible to all who visited for years, before it went to a bookbinder in Halifax, and was used as a base for hammering out leather for use in making leather book covers. In other words, it was constantly whacked by hammers for God knows how many years, until that business closed around, I believe it was 1911, and dozens of people swore to the existence of a code being inscribed on that stone. But no photo was ever taken of it. Strange. And recently, this is interesting, on History Channel's The Curse of Oak Island, they found the stone. did catch the recent one where some enterprising members of Rick and Marty's search team discovered the stone located in the basement of the same building where Halifax printers once existed. The story being that the stone had been used by leather workers to beat and soften leather for years for book bindings, and only two large letters are still visible on that stone, L and N whatever code there was, having been beaten to nothing by the strikes of hammers. So the Oak Island searchers, for the sake of TV documentary drama, hauled the heavy stone into the planning room back at Oak Island and dumped the stone onto the top of their long table with a huge thunk. And Marty, upon seeing the stone, and noting that only two large letters, L, N, were visible to the naked eye, suggested that laser technology had recently been used to find previously unseen markings on the Stonehenge stones. And maybe that would work on this one. One of those stay-tuned-for-the-next-episode moments. And I haven't seen the follow-up episode yet. (laughs) But I'll guess that they don't find the inscription that legend says someone had dutifully copied while it was on display for years at the Smith House on Oak Island, before it was carried off to Halifax. Well, we haven't covered all the theories, but we have definitely raised some food for thought. Credit Dennis J. King in his blog, History, Hoax, and Hype, who gives us a detailed explanation that suggests that Smith's Cove was used for the production of salt, a very necessary commodity, not only necessary for life, but also for fishermen from all countries who frequented those waters, who needed a place to dry and salt their catch, that catch needing to be preserved for months before returning to their homelands and King argues that structures were found at Smith's Cove that were needed to create and process that salt, including a kiln needed for that process. And then there's always the curse hanging out there. The curse has claimed six lives and promises a seventh, but no one wants to buy that ticket, and hopefully no one will. The first tragedy occurred in 1861 when a steam boiler exploded, scalding one worker to death and injuring others. In subsequent years, another worker fell to his death as his lift chair cable broke as he was being hauled to the surface. The Restall family tragedy was the worst, and that claimed four lives within minutes. Robert Restall and his wife Mildred had known fame and success as part of an international traveling show in which they participated in a death-defying stunt which involved their both driving their motorcycles at high speeds around the inner perimeter of a giant steel wheel, which was called the Globe of Death. Restall, according to the legend, had seen a Reader's Digest article in 1960 or so about Oak Island, and was hooked. Here was a chance to put their savings into something less dangerous. He negotiated a deal with Oak Island landowner Mel Chapel, moved his wife, two sons, and daughter to Oak Island, invested $8,000, and went to work in an effort to find the treasure. For the next five years, the family lived in two primitive cabins on Oak Island with no running water, and they felt like they were making progress, but disaster struck on Tuesday, August 17, 1965, when Restall, peering over the edge of a tunnel they had dug, was rendered unconscious by poisonous fumes rising up from below and fell into the shaft. His son Bobby went to rescue him, "'and met the same fate. Two nearby workers also tried to rescue them "'and also died from the fumes. "'It was a terrible tragedy. "'But it didn't stop efforts that followed by others, "'and they still continue today. "'Today the Lagina brothers, "'supported in part by the History Channel, "'carry on the search, "'and they are the first to admit "'that the treasure might be a myth, "'but they keep turning up clues.' most of those clues indicating that humans had been using the island since at least the 1700s, and very possibly earlier. Skeptics have said that the money pit is nothing more than a sinkhole, that the wooden supports at every 10 feet were caused by nature, that the inscribed stone the searchers found at a 90-foot depth in the hole never existed, and that there is, nor has there ever been, any treasure at Oak Island. I thought it was strange that during the original money pit dig, layers of spruce, then putty, then charcoal, were found at some of the deeper stations, and it appeared that the platform logs at ninety feet had been sealed, as if waterproofed, by sap, or some type of sealant, perhaps to prevent water from rising up from below. But why? To what purpose? As for the gold links found, those could very easily have been salted into the fine to attract investors. And were it not for that stone and the legends surrounding Captain Kidd and buried treasure, there might not have been all the sound and fury. Will the treasure ever be discovered at Oak Island? Or will the real story behind Oak Island ever be found? Only history will tell. But there are many who believe the story has already been found. And it has nothing to do with treasure. Underlying this whole story, and all the efforts that have been put into the search by the Legina brothers, I believe, is the Masonic Connection. And those two words, Masonic and Connection, are allegorical to the nth degree, because many of the movers and shakers in history, especially the powers that have been working behind the scenes and throughout the formation and history of the United States, are Masons, short for Freemasons, and they're connected in a number of ways. As I work to catch up with the Curse of the Oak Island Money Pit episodes, watching the lengths they're going to to try to map out exactly what's below the surface of sections of Oak Island, and finding definite sonar impressions of sealed lockers and even underground rooms or chambers, combined with wood walls that they found just below the surface, as was found recently in the swamp area. It does appear that there may be, repeat, may be, remains of underground meeting and storage places, almost like an underground fort. This wouldn't be unusual for forts built in the 16th and 17th centuries. If someone was looking for an out-of-the-way place to meet and perhaps store a treasure outside of Europe, in the New World, accessible by ship, and underground, Oak Island would have made an ideal location. A little history on the Freemasons. Two million strong today, Men, and in some cases, women, known as Freemasons, belong to the oldest and largest fraternal organization known in the world today. One of their modern catchphrases is, Making good men better. They come from all political and religious spectrums, but believe in one God. Their symbols are, and always have been, the tools of Masons, a compass and a square, symbolizing building a path of righteousness, And, as was true in the theory behind the building of the Temple of Solomon, teaching brothers to be better men by passing levels of personal growth and helping others. Back in the 12th century, the Knights Templar, who began their existence out of the Temple of Solomon and swore to uphold moral lives and defend Christianity, actually gave framework, at least through similarity of purpose, to the Masons the Knights Templar had become the keepers of stolen Christian artifacts and had become extremely wealthy through land that had been given them in thanks for their protection, as well as interest from loans they offered to kings and countries. It was that wealth that contributed to their destruction when a French king who was indebted to them decided to crush them and confiscate all their wealth, or at least try to, with the consent of the Pope. Soon after, and that was back around 1305-1307. Soon after that purge, during which many of the Templars were caught and imprisoned, and some put to death, others escaped. Some say a shipload of Templars went to Scotland. Others went underground in Europe. Others escaped to other countries. Soon after the purge, the Masons began popping up, although they operated much more in secret than today which is why many people today believe that the Masons inherited a great deal of the Templar treasure that was able to be taken out of Europe. And some even believe that the American Revolution was financed by Masons. There are connections between known Masons, such as George Washington, and powerful Masons in France, who was then our ally, and very possibly our foreign benefactor. And there are some who believe that beneath Oak Island, There lies a possible lost treasure that once was under the care and protection of the Knights Templar, who became, many believe, the original Masons. I am not a Masonic or Templar historian, and I may have gotten a few details wrong here, but this is the gist of the story. And I think the Mason link is the reason that Marty and Rick have been pushing so hard to get to the secret that they believe Oak Island holds. Masonic hints have been popping up for years through the excavations taking place at Oak Island, and some of the earlier financiers, like John Wayne and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, were Masons. There are a number of allegorical connections between Oak Island and certain degrees of attainment of Scottish Freemasons that have come to light. The first degree is called the Holy Royal Arch. As the story goes, when the Jews went back to their destroyed Solomon Temple, around 540 B.C., they discovered a secret vault of King Solomon. Within that vault, they discovered a stone which turned out to be hollow when they struck it with a crowbar. The second degree is the Royal Arch of Enoch, taken from an older story from 1,000 B.C., during the original construction of King Solomon's temple, his first temple. During construction of that temple, they found the remains of an earlier temple built by Enoch, which turned out, as they dug deeper... To have nine different levels or floors. They also discovered a golden plate on which was inscribed the secret name of God. The similarity between the original money pit dig having nine levels or floors, and the ancient story of Enoch's temple with the workers digging down to find nine levels, then finding an inscribed plaque on the ninth level, has historians and those connected with this story talking and wondering. Was Oak Island used and built underground as a Masonic temple of worship? Or was this a hoax from the beginning, designed to make it look like there was a connection? That's part of the buzz around Oak Island, and I thought you should know it, as to whether or not there's any truth in it. Time may or may not tell us. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. If you would like to support our show, and we hope you would, We have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork, and we ask our supporters to donate a few dollars a month to help us on our long trek toward 1001 episodes, a journey which has been the most rewarding experience of my life, and I hope that shines through in the work I do here. That's patreon.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork. We currently feature six active 1001 shows, this one. 1001 Heroes, a second called 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, which contains a wide variety of short stories that I narrate from writers like Jack London, Mark Twain, Anton Chekhov, and many others. 1001 Stories for the Road, where we do long-format adventure stories such as King Solomon's Mines, Tarzan, and our current story, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. And we have a podcast called 1001 Radio Days, where we bring you weekly old-time radio shows, such as The Texas Rangers with Joel McRae, a great show, you gotta try that, and a variety of detective and mystery shows. And then 1001 Greatest Love Stories, where we bring a wide variety of male and female classic author stories and stories of home and hearth. And, lastly, 1001 History Storytellers, where we play our author interview episodes, releasing one every Sunday night for your enjoyment. These make great listening. Our purpose here, throughout, is to get you away from TV, to broaden your historical and literary knowledge through well-researched and well-narrated shows that both entertain and inform. And I think we're accomplishing that. Our reviewers certainly tell us we are. All we ask is that you subscribe. That's free. Anywhere great podcasts are found. Hopefully to all of our 1001 shows. And review us. And share with others. Thank you for being the greatest fans in the world. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern with brand new shows. See you then.